This is how to do everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Today, we're talking about names. My name, for example, is Mike. Hi, Mike and Ian. This is Chelsea Sams calling from Beverly, Massachusetts, um, and I have a question for you. One of my lifelong goals has been to have a species named after me, um, but I understand that the scientist that first describes the species gets the naming rights, um, but I have a degree in art, so I'm unlikely to be able to do that. How do you go about getting a species named after you if you're not a scientist? Well, we've looked into this, Chelsea. It's actually quite simple. Here's Stephen Hayden from the Bohart Museum at UC Davis. So, Stephen, if Chelsea wants a bug named after her, all she has to do is buy one. Uh, yeah. Uh, if she didn't want a bug, I understand that Scripps um, Institute in Southern California is offering names of sea creatures. Uh, there was a monkey going a couple years ago for like $60,000 if you want to pay that much. <laughs> wow. Wait, what? So, okay, but what if I don't have $60,000? Can I get a, a kind of lesser animal? Yeah. How so, far down does this go? I'm not sure how low it goes. Like, our our insect was about $2,000. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's actually a much better deal than that star registry because mm. that's really sort of informal and, I don't know, it doesn't mean that much, really. But um, a species name is, you know, it's written up, it's printed in the scientific literature, and it has validity. So if Chelsea were to do this, if she had $2,000 and she had the opportunity to name or spend that $2,000 on an insect, would then what would it be called? Uh, Chelsea? Well, what for a uh, for uh, a female, a woman? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we would probably take her last name and add, and add A E to the ending of it. Okay, so Chelsea's last name is Sam's. So, what would this this uh, bug's name be? So Sam's A. Mm-hmm. Just Sam's A. Yeah. All right. Well, I got. I'm somewhat disappointed because if I did have the, if I was Chelsea and I yeah. had an insect. I would want to be able to say, there's Chelsea, or there's me, or I, I got bit by me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could do Chelsea Samsey. Let me, let me ask you this. What, what could I get named after me for like 80 bucks? For 80 bucks? Yeah, that's what I got. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe you'll have to contact the, uh, the bacteriologist or something <laughs> okay. like that. See what they have available. Steven, thank you so much. All right, sure. It was nice talking with you guys. You too. June needed an apartment. He can't live here. I ordered a small coffee. They said I could sit here if I ordered a small coffee. Chloe needed a roommate. It's first class in security. They found each other. I bought it with the extra rent money you gave me. But extra rent money? Oh, well, duh. The real rent is way lower than what I told you. Can they live together without driving each other crazy? I've always wanted to go to a lighthouse with a sandwich and my thoughts. I almost just hit you. I almost just lost control and hit you. Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 premieres Wednesday, 9.38.30 Central after Modern Family on ABC. That is a promo for the show Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which premieres on ABC this week. And as sitcom titles go, it's pretty unorthodox. Horrible. So how do sitcoms get their names? On the line with us now is Marisa Guthrie. 
She's covered this very topic for The Hollywood Reporter. And it can be a pretty tense process at the networks. It was with Friends. Friends went through several different titles. Six of One, um, Across the Hall... Uh, and, you know, when, when they eventually settled on Friends, everyone sort of shrugged and thought, eh, well, all right. Um, and uh, it, the show became such a game changer um, on the TV landscape and was so imitated that the title is now rather iconic. Yeah. Are, are there other shows that have sort of lasted the test of time that, you know, had alternative titles? Oh, definitely. There are a lot. I mean, famously, the Seinfeld was originally called the Seinfeld Chronicles. Um, I mean, and Happy Days was going to be called New Family in Town. Um, <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer was just going to be called Slayer. And, of course, famously, Ray Romano hated the title Everybody Loves Raymond because he thought it would just open him up to barbs, like, no, everybody does not love Raymond is what the, all the critics would say. And he, he worked fastidiously to try to get the CBS Corporation CEO Leslie Moonves to change the title. But of course, um, Everybody Loves Raymond is now iconic, and it was a very successful show. So enough people actually loved Raymond. So, so is it always, um, does it work that, you know, the people who come up with an idea for a show, the creators have this title in mind, um, and then the executives say no? Is that how these shows get changed from one title to the titles we know today? Well, a, a lot of the, the the reason they get changed is because of focus groups. Um, a lot of times what happens is the focus group testing says that viewers are confused by the title or don't get it, and so may not tune in to the show. And so that sends everyone into like a little title panic, and they have to come up with all these other titles, many of them are, are many of which are not any better and probably worse than the original title. Let me ask you this, because I, I really don't know. Am I supposed to be saying don't trust the B, or am I supposed to say, you know, the B word? Well, the creator of the show, Nanachka Khan, would really like you to say the B word. All right. <laughs> can you say the B word? When can you say that? At what time, after which time at night can you say that? Well, I mean, technically you can say it whenever you want. It's just a matter of will you get an FCC fine if you say it. <laughs> I mean, but right. there's all sorts of things um, that, that you can't do uh, on television. I mean, you can't drink and drive on broadcast TV. You can't smoke. <laughs> so, really? Really. <laughs> you can do that on cable. You can do that on Mad Men, but you, you can't can do it on... You can smoke and drink on cable, um, but, but you can't do it on broadcast TV. If you're going to drink on broadcast, you have to be taking a cab or a limo. Well, that's See? crazy, though. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's there are all sorts of things that that you just cannot do if you're um, if you're a broadcast show. Well, Marisa, thank you so much for this. I think we've learned a lot. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. It's nice to be with you. Hey, Brian, how can we help you? So, my question is all pharmaceutical drugs. Um, each one that I see on the market always has kind of a weird name. So my question is, when you're developing a new drug, how do you pick the name for it? Do you have like a, have you ever thought, oh, that that would be a great name for a drug? You know, I'll admit, I've thought about it before, but every single commercial that I see, I've always wondered what the people are doing when they're sitting in the conference or when they're sitting in kind of like the, the board meeting when they have this new drug when they're about to put it on the market and they're like... What are we going to name it? And do people just pull it out of a hat? You know, I, I've, I've always wondered it. Well, you know what? We 
I think we can find someone who yeah. can answer this question for you. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Alrighty. Appreciate your help. Scott Piergrassi is VP of Creative Development at Brand Institute. They come up with the names for drugs. Yeah, Lipitor, that's theirs. Mm -hmm. So, Scott, uh, how does this work? The first thing is, what does the drug do? If if the drug does this, if it's a a cancer drug, uh, if it's a lifestyle drug, um, and that could be anything from, you know, uh, erectile dysfunction to eyelash growth, um, you have to understand who the target audience is. So... An example would be uh, going to the oncologist example. If we're creating a cancer drug, uh, we worked on the name Avastin, okay. um, and that is derived from the drug's mechanism, which is an avascular inhibition. All right. And going to the you know eyelash growth, we worked on the name Latisse, which is crafted from Matisse, the sculptor artist, uh, with the LA prefix for lash. Uh, oh. So you can see both from a messaging and a tonality standpoint uh, how those names. Uh, speak to different people. So Scott, one of my favorite names is Flomax because it tells you kind of what it what it's trying to do for you. Mhm. In like almost explicit terms. They're going to maximize your flow. Mhm. Uh that that name was approved uh probably over a decade ago or right about then. Um and things have become more conservative from a promotional standpoint. Huh. Uh now apart from making a name safe uh, in that it can't be confused with another drug wherein a misprescription might occur. The name also have to, has to be, quote-unquote, safe from a, a marketing, um, a promotional, and exaggerative claim perspective. Yeah. Uh, so a name like Flomax was approved 10 years ago. The agencies, regulators like FDA, have become more conservative um, over the past few years, so that name might be uh, overstating the drug's efficacy. Huh. Um, so... That, so many years ago, there was a little more leeway with that, and that's why you're seeing some of the newer drug names for, you know, besides the trademark concerns, um, the newer drug names being more coined and more subtly encoding their messages. Well, let, let's talk about Latisse. That, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Matisse plus Lash, you get Latisse. Mm-hmm. So does that, does somebody come, they say, we have this drug, and you you just, you just guys have a guy who's like, all right, Latisse, or is the, do you come up with a lot of different names? That's a great question. So we have a creative team, uh, which I lead, and we create for any given project, I would say, about 2,000 names. Really? Uh, yeah, yes. And, and they have to go through a series of filters uh, to present, ultimately, probably about uh, 250 total to our clients over a series of meetings. Once we leave the creative department, the process leaves... Uh, we usually have about 100 names that our clients are, are comfortable with, and then we still have to go through trademarks, market research, et cetera, yeah. uh, to come down to a very short list for regulatory submission. So what, what if you can tell me, were um, some of the alternates for uh, Latisse? That I can't, I can't disclose. Okay. Can you tell me, did you think of other artists plus Lash? Like, did you, like, pitch Lacalangelo or, or anything like Lacasso? that? Lacasso? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the artists, uh, artists were uh, certainly one of the buckets explored um, <laughs> because of the, the styling effects of the product. Um, so, yeah, sure, uh, different themes within artistry, music, uh, things to that extent. <clears throat> and then things that were uh, more, you know, communicative of a straightforward benefit or an attribute of the product, certainly. Well, c- Scott, can I ask you, it seems like a lot of these uh, pharmaceuticals have, they utilize letters that we don't often see. Like, you get a lot of X's. Z's, mm-hmm. Y's, V's. I mean, if in Scrabble, you'd be dominating with these things. 
Is that yeah. you, is that on purpose? Are you looking at those letters, you know, specifically? Well, there's two reasons for that. The first reason, which is less applicable today than it was five to ten years ago, is the um, the use of them amongst other trademarks. So it used to be that starting a name with an XY can make the name more legally viable, and on the same token, to make it look like and sound like less other products, also promoting the chance for possible approval. Um, but yes, there's also the side of it uh, that we call tonality, in that a sound or how the name sounds, how you hear it can affect the implied messaging of the name. So uh, the Z's, might, starting with the Z, might connote speed, X might connote power, and really beyond the individual letters, the letter strings as they're used together um, also have that, that kind of effect. So if you look at a name like uh, Lunesta, which there's really no hard, hard consonants in there um, for a sleep aid with the, with the lunar moth imagery associated with it, very soft, approachable, nighttime restorative rest. Uh-huh. Um, and, we, uh, and, and you can look at another name, uh, something like uh, Grazax, which is a grass a- allergy vaccine that we created for a company, uh, an extremely potent powerful, to-the-point, efficacious-sounding name. Can we try something? I, I understand you can't tell us the, the names that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, you know, you, you guys did Lunesta. Mm-hmm. Um, can I throw you, like, just an idea I have for a name for the same product, and you can tell me why it doesn't work? Okay, let's go. All right, let's say I want to call it uh, Sleepasaur. Sleepasaur? Sleepasaur, hmm. sure. Okay. <laughs> um... Well, I can't say that wouldn't work. It might fail the quote-unquote marketing check <laughs> for the marketers wanting to get out there and promote it. Yeah. Um, but the, the sleep, the word sleep um, might be looked at as um, uh, an implied message of efficacy um, because any product isn't going to work on everybody. Oh. Um, so the, that might be reviewed from a, a somewhat promotional standpoint. I'm not saying that name would, act, uh, would definitely get rejected because if it was indicated for uh, as a sleep aid, uh, it might have potential. And usually that, that might be a little long if I, don't, if I count out the letters, but we usually talk nine letters or less. Okay. Um, but I don't think technically there's, that's definitely going to get shot down. I, I, I will say as I said it out loud, I was just kind of spitballing, and as I said it, I realized about a second later that it might make you think of bed sores. It might. I, yeah. It might, or dinosaur. Yeah, that's yeah. nice that you could have an automatic logo right there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which doesn't make you think sleep, though, does no. it? Giant, no, no. And these are things that we do have to contend with when we're presenting names is uh, personal associations that... Um, you know, we have to help keep clients on task. What is personal and what is likely shared by the population at large? Is there, in your industry, is there like a cautionary tale that everybody knows that is a guiding, I don't know, example for you guys and what not to do? Um, well, the, uh, is the Chevy Nova, which had exposure in Latin American markets and in Spanish, Nova means doesn't go uh, and it's a car. Um, so that's kind of a case study in, in linguistics as being an important step. Uh, you'll see um, what we call dual trade names uh, globally. So um, in Europe it's this, in the U.S. it's this, uh, because uh, linguistically it is an appropriate and a specific language. Is there something that comes to mind that we know as one thing here that is, is different elsewhere? Just an example. Uh, from a linguistic standpoint, I'd have to do, a, do some checking, but I, I can speak of... Uh, um, from a promotional standpoint, uh, everybody in the U.S. or most people probably know Rogaine, the brand. Yeah. Um, 
and every most other countries it's called regain. Um, and FDA said that that is uh, making a, a claim to its efficacy, so it had to be called Rogaine here. Everywhere else it's Regain. So that's an example of dual training from a promotional standpoint. So they wanted to call it Regain here, but they couldn't? Exactly. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for your time and for your patience with all our questions. I'm happy to help, and if there's anything else, just ask. All right, we got a little housekeeping to take care of. Uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, that vampires are a mathematical impossibility. Now, this prompted several of you to write in and tell us how wrong we were. Right, we said that you become a vampire when a vampire bites you on the neck. Which is how I understood it to be. Yeah, and you, you, a lot of you wrote in and said, hey, that's, that's not all there is to it. So to set the record straight, on the line with us is Charlene Harris. She wrote the books that the TV show True Blood is based on the Southern Vampire Mysteries. So, Charlene, um, a, a lot of people wrote in and told us we got vampires wrong. You did. Okay, so <laughs> you, you heard it too. Well, it's a lot harder than that. Otherwise, there would be too many vampires. Uh, and vampires, of course, are a, a predator. Uh-huh. Uh, the predator-prey ratio uh, has to be kept. I mean, there are certainly never going to be as many lions as there are zebras, right? Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. See, we breed a lot more than vampires do. Okay. It's very hard for one vampire to create another. And even when you try, it doesn't always work out. Uh, You have to completely drain uh, your chosen fellow vampire. um, And they have to be in the ground or at least somewhere dark for three days. Uh, Then they'll rise. I mean, you have to give them your blood. I'm sorry. I'm speaking from the vampire point of view. Uh, <laughs> after completely draining the person, the vampire has to give them the vampire's blood. Wait, so do you have like half vampires roaming around? No, no. That's not possible. You're okay. either one thing or another. Uh, you're either a vampire or you're a human. Or you're dead. <laughs> it's, and most likely these people are just dead because they only have 5% of their blood left. Uh, right. Yeah, you have to, it's all or nothing in the vampire world. Well, wait a minute, and this is maybe gross, and I'm sorry to ask you this, because I, I really don't know anything about vampires other than, like, silly garlic and crosses, things like that. But do they, can they have sex? They can in my books, because that <laughs> makes my books a lot more fun. <laughs> wait, so, so they can But Anne have... Rice's vampires can't, for example. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't, Okay. Well, this uh, this has answered a lot of questions for us. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I exist to be a reference work. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we didn't do our March Madness winners last week. Yeah, right, we missed that uh, because I was sick. Mm-hmm. I'm better now, sort of. Uh, so some congratulations are in order. It came down in a tiebreaker uh, between me, actually. Yeah. And Annie Fife, and I ended up winning, but that seems boring. I think the rule with our show is the tie goes to not Ian. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Yeah. So, Annie, did you have any strategy with your picks this year? Um, not really. I actually just moved to Lexington, Kentucky, mm-hmm. so I definitely knew that I wanted them to win. Um, mm-hmm. But besides that, it was just kind of go with it and 
usually I try not to think too much about it and just go with my first pick for everything. Now that you've won, having picked Kentucky to win the championship, do you feel more accepted by your new peers there in Lexington? Yes, I think so. What? I definitely think so. Has it, has it been pretty crazy there? Yeah, it's been nuts. It's been really fun, actually. Um, it's fun to see all the celebrations. Some of them seem to get a little out of control, but just the whole, um, the whole city is just so behind the Kentucky team. It's, it's really exciting. So have you turned over any cars and started them on fire? Not yet. I thought about it. Yeah. But um, congratulations. And uh, I don't know. Are we doing prizes, Blythe? All right. We'll send you All right. We'll send you a prize. Okay, great. That does it for today's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned uh, Friends uh, was almost called uh, Across the Hall. I feel like that could have been the name of Seinfeld, too. Across the Hall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or kids in the hall. Did they live across the hall from each other? They lived in the hall. I learned that Rogaine is supposed to be called Regain, but they just had to change a letter. Do you think they went over uh, alternate? Because they just changed one letter. Do you yeah. think they like thought about like Rugain, the drug that makes you a drag queen? Rugain would be it would put rugula on your hair. You get some nice Jewish pastries up there. Rogain turns you into a sun god. Oh yeah. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Kate Casey, or as she's known in Europe, Re-Kate Casey. Get us your questions, howto at npr.org. Or check out our website, howtodoeverything.org. I mean, I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.